Hey, this is Britt Vargas, and I am the High School Ministry Associate Director at Calvary Community Church here in Westlake Village, California. And this is our HSM podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out today. I hope this encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. I ask you guys to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. All right, all right, all right. As you guys open up your Bibles, I'll introduce myself briefly. My name is Aaron Kajumba, and I serve here as a high school pastor. Um, It's a joy to do so because we get to worship over the Word and each other. And really, our main cause, our main purpose, our drive, what really gives us cause here is to be able to disciple you guys to live in love like Jesus. That's what we're expecting, that's what we're hoping for, that's what we're trusting God to do. And today we're jumping to Isaiah chapter 40. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can flip over there. And we'll jump a little bit into chapter 39, but chapter 40 is going to be camped this evening. You guys good? Amen. Amen. Allow me to just pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that as we just roll through these scriptures and worship over your word, that you're going to reveal truth about your glory and how we are, we are to respond and to be comforted by uh, the presence and the power of who you are and how that helps us shape how we view life while we're on this side of heaven. So bless me, brothers and sisters, as they hear and respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Amen, amen. Now, if there's an empty seat in front of you, please take a bold step and fill it. I know you you might have come with someone, but hey, if there's a a space that's in front of you that's empty, just move around. That's awesome. Come together. We're family. We're all about being together here. And so we're going to read this word together in that fashion. So the beginning of this text, I'm going to make this one point. One, the king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. That's something we have to be ready for. And as we read Isaiah chapter 40, you're going to see how he comes, why he comes, and how we have to respond in response to the soon coming king. And we kick off 40, but before 40, there's 39, obviously, you guys know how to count, right? 39, chapter, chapter, chapter 39, verse 4, talks about how the first four verses, about how this king Hezekiah fell sick. And when Hezekiah fell sick, some people came to visit him. And amazingly enough, it was the Babylonian people. Now, if you guys know your history or you've been reading the scriptures for a while, you know the Babylonians enslaved, were brought down by God, right, by God to bring in punishment on the Israelites for their life of sin. That was one chapters 1 through 39, right? This is what God is talking about. But what happens is they visit Hezekiah when he's sick. And what he does is he immediately invites them to come. When they come visit him, he's so excited. He goes, these people have come to see me. They've come to be about me. And he has this high view of himself. See, the beginning of where we began our teaching in Isaiah was in chapter 6, where Isaiah, uh, Isaiah goes to church and happens to see God. Go figure, right? Crazy. He's all shocked. He goes to church. The last place he happens to expect to see God is at church. And then it says it was in the year when King Uzziah died. But he saw God enthroned on, like sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. But here we see Hezekiah, who is full of himself. So when people come to visit him, what does he do? In his pride, in his excitement for who he is, kind of like us, full of ourselves, stuck about what we are, stuck on our own selfish ambition, he says this, he says this, what did they see in your palace, asked Isaiah. And he said, they saw everything. Hezekiah replied, I showed them everything I own and all my royal treasuries. Now this may not stick for you guys because you're like, what the heck, what does that mean? It's kind of like saying Putin came to visit the United States. He comes to visit the United States. He's going to someone's house. I don't know whose house. I won't say whose name, right? But he comes to visit the United States. And what do we do? President Biden says, hey, check out. Here are nuclear codes. 
Here's where we print our money. Here's how to destroy our nation. He showed them everything. Hezekiah expressed everything about who he was. This is my power. This is my strength. This is what Hezekiah did. And sure enough, his pride became his downfall. Verse 5 through 7 says this. Isaiah spoke then to Hezekiah and said, Listen to this message from the Lord of heaven's armies. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off into Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile, and they will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. What does this mean? He said, what's going to happen because of your pride, because of who you think you are in light of all the things I've done, because you've raised yourself up against me, what's going to happen is all your family, everyone's going to be taken into slavery, and they're going to become eunuchs. Now, for you guys who don't know what eunuchs are, eunuchs is someone who serves in the house of a king. But what they do is they would actually castrate you so you cannot reproduce. So you were, all your family, your family line is going to end right there simply because of his pride. See, Hezekiah's pride was his downfall. It was his downfall. He said, I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to hope in God. I'm not going to wait on God. I'm not going to be focused on who he says he is and who he says I am. No, I'm going to focus on myself. And his pride became his downfall. And you'd wonder, what is his response to this news? To the response that his family line is going to end right there because of his pride. What does he say? He says this in verse 8. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. Hold up. What? Like, this is great news? All right, let's keep reading. This is the Bible, right? It's not me. We're reading the same verses, right? For the king was thinking at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. He's thinking about himself. And the reality is selfishness is a legacy killer. Imagine if one point, for example, all of you guys or some of you guys were invited to church or you became a Christian because someone, whether a parent, an uncle, a sister, a cousin, spent time saying, I'm not going to be selfish with the gift that God has given me. I'm not going to take on this whole gift of salvation, the gift of holiness, the gift of wholeness and peace and comfort. Comfort, he speaks to his people. I'm not going to keep it for myself. I must give it to people. I have to tell someone about it. Imagine someone never did that to you or for you. Where would you be now? You know where you were. I don't know where you were. I know for me personally, I was living, like a, living a life of sin, sleeping with prostitutes, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I would still be in that. I'd probably be dead by now. I don't know. I don't know. Where would you be? But someone had an opportunity to speak to me. They spoke the words of God. The words of God came to them, and they spoke to me, and they spoke to you. And this man has no care about his legacy or the people around him. He is selfish and full of himself, full of his pride. And his selfishness killed his legacy. And now we begin to see in chapter 40 where the story begins to turn. Where we have just hope. And God begins to speak to this people. In light of their king, in light of the, the things that they've been doing from chapters 1 to 39. In light of all the craziness that's been going on there. What he does... What God does is speak words of comfort. And if you guys know uh, poetry of read the Bible, when you see words are, are doubled up, they're emphasizing something to us. And this is what he says. Chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. If we could get some water, that will be a blessing. It says this. Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort my people. Kind of like a baby, holding a baby in your arm, and the baby is crying and crying out and sad, and things are going wrong. What does he do? Just pats on the back. Comfort. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I got you. I'll take care of you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. 
Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over all her sins. First thing to notice here is this what? It's one thing. When her sins have been pardoned. That is great news to know that everything I've done, everything I'm going to do has been covered by the grace of God. What a joy to know that I am free. That no one is holding me hostage. Sin can't hold me hostage. I have freedom. We talked about how sin is violent two weeks ago, or yesterday, or was it last week, or some time ago. We talked about how sin is violent and how sin separates us from God. But now we don't have to be separated from God. He goes, don't worry about it. I paid for that. You don't have to worry about that. Your sad days are done. And it reminds me, even though these people are still messing up, wilding out, and some of you guys might be in that space where you're showing up to church and all this stuff, and you're doing all the things, but behind this space, you're all wilding out. Like your life is totally different. Like if you put a video camera on your life right now and walk throughout every day of your life, you'd be like, dude, please don't show that on YouTube. Like please, don't sh- please do not show that on YouTube, especially that one moment. Like you have all those things. And he goes, no. Like all those things have been cast away. And even though you're wild enough, he said, I still pursue you. I still love you. I still want you. In fact, he says in Romans 5.8, this is the gospel for many of us, that but God showed his great love for us. For us, it was love, love for you, care for you. That by sending Christ to us to to die for us while we were still sinners, while you were still a sinner, God loved you. So this is a point that was made earlier in our our service at 11 a.m., meaning the main service, and I brought it back down here for us to say that this, that God loves you when you are at your worst. And that's crazy. That God loves you when you're at your worst. When you're at your worst. When you're horrible, when you're far from God, when you're feeling the weight of your sin, when you're feeling far from him, he says, I am not far from you. He loves us when when you're at your worst, but not just when you're at your worst, but also not only when you're at your best. He's a God who is consistent through all these moments. God has said, I'm not going to give up on you. He's a real good, good friend. Because some of us are friends. If it's too hard, they're like, I don't know. We'll do that next week or whatever. No, he's like, I'm going to be consistent with you. God has promised not to give up on Israel, an Israel that was doing all kinds of craziness. And he says, no, I'm not giving up on my people. He calls them my people. It's an endearing term. And when he looks at you and you've been doing all these crazy things, he goes, no, I still call you. I love you. I call you by name. I want you. I desire you. You are desired by God. You are loved by God. He's pursuing you. And when this king comes, when he comes to present himself to his people, he comes in all royalty and all power and all glory. Now, recently we had an event in the city where a group of men were running around chasing a ball full of air, and there's two teams and all kinds of stuff happens, right? And when these people came together to, 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 to play this, this game of warriors, I believe, I, I don't know if it's a game of warriors, but anyway, they're, they're playing this game. They, the city of L.A. made a way. They made a way for these men. What did they do? They removed all the homeless people off the street. Where did they go? They just removed them. They removed everything they thought that was unclean. They removed every person, every act. They just pulled it out out of the way, which is insane for me to think about. Like, where are those people going to go? Where are they now? Back in the same place. Or you're thinking about the Olympics coming up soon. What's going to happen then? Or from my perspective, when the Queen of England came 
to Uganda, and Uganda has been a, a, a British protectorate for a long time. And when they had independence, what happened is the queen came to visit, and they literally built roads where there were no roads. Like, this is a space where they knew that this queen was going to pass through because they honored her. They, they were giving her a, 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 an act of glory, of honor, of respect, of deep, of deep saying, I value you. And so when this king comes, what can we give this king? How can we value? How do we make a way for him? He goes, no, I'm the one who makes a way. And he says it this way in Isaiah 43 through 5. He goes, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make it straight. A highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys. Level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves. Smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see the Lord together. When this king comes to present himself, when you have a guest at your house, you clean up your room, you clean up the house. You can have some water, that'll be a blessing if you can get some as well. That'd be awesome. But you, you clean up everything. You vacuum, you dust. Like you're like, your mom would be like, clean that cobweb. You're like, mom, there's no cobweb. There's nothing there. No, there's a cobweb. And you're like, okay, all right, right? You, you make every effort, right, to clean because of this guest coming. When the king comes, when God comes, he literally fills valleys. Where there was nothing, he fills them up and fulfills them. And when, when there's, like, oceans are split in half when he's coming, mountains are bowing before him when he comes because of the honor of who he is. Like, this is the glory of our God. He is not any weak God. He's not far away from us. He's a strong, capable, and honorable God. Verse 6 to 8 says, A voice said, Shout. And I asked, What should I shout? Shout at the people who are like, that the people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the fields, and the grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. So it is, it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. He goes, even these people who stand and think they are self-sufficient, they are like grass. Now in California, you guys understand what grass is for a few years or months of the year, basically, because grass is just not a thing here. Like if you have grass, thank you so much. God bless you. There you go. For the people who will listen to the podcast later on. Like, what happened? He drank the water. The water of life. All right. Amen. Amen. That's not in the Bible. But anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> like, he, he, he ends up... Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I forgot where I was going with that point. All right, here we go. It says this in the scripture. That when he comes with power, he uses his power not just to... Not just to uh, uh, heal and to, to restore people, but also to make way for himself. Now that gives me confidence. Why? Because when this God comes, he's the one who's doing a work in my heart. See, your work as a believer is to do this, to be obedient and to be faithful and to trust God. Like that's it. Your, heart, your, wor- your work and your role is not to change the hearts of people, but to be faithful and to be obedient. Like that's, that's it. It's simple. Like read the Bible, do what it says. There's nothing complicated with that. And he goes, I will do the work. I will finish the work. And for many of us, we have this testimony of how the power of God appeared to us, the glory of God appeared to us, and his work was done in our lives. And he says his word, even though we are like grass, that grass is gone one week. If you don't water it, it's it's just gone. It's gone. It's not going to come back. Even though we are like grass, he goes, my word endures forever. I am consistent. I am true. I keep every single one of my promises. This Bible that we're reading is full of over a thousand promises. 
over a thousand promises, prophecies fulfilled. Like we can read through Isaiah and in a few weeks, we're going to Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus. And there's a promise that's even a sad promise, a promise of his death, and yet a promise of great joy because it gives us life. Like it was a promise. And if God is going to keep a promise even to, to the end where he is going to take himself out, like he's going to sacrifice himself, how much more are the other promises he has for us? His word stands forever. He's a faithful God and we can trust him. It says, yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power and he will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him. As he comes, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. This God who has all power uses his arms not just to defend you, but also to comfort you and to hold you in his arms. And I don't know if you guys are, you know, there's different kinds of love languages, but man, to receive a hug from someone who loves you, right? To receive like that, that intimate connection. He, it says he puts you in his heart. He puts you on his bosom, on his chest, like someone who actually cares for you, who knows you, who knows the intricacies of all your craziness and all your goods and all your highs. And whether you like tacos or hip hop or not hip hop, you better like hip hop. But like, you know, like all these different things, like he's like, dude, like I, I continue to bring you to myself and I care for you. Like that's a deep, deep love. This God uses all his power to care for his own. And I want us to be highlighted on who this God is as we read uh, the rest of these scriptures. We're going to watch a video that we're going to put up on the screen. So pay attention to that as we continue to worship the Lord. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy 
But that was Dr. S.M. Lockridge, and he had an opportunity to share the gospel. And he all, all he does in this, for about a few, like four or three minutes, he just begins to lay out who Jesus is. And as you, people begin to see who Christ is, this is what I, I really believe and what I trust in, that as you begin to focus your eyes on Jesus, the Hebrew says, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the, the author and finisher of our faith, that your life changes and if you want your life to change, you, you fix your eyes on Christ. Like read Revelation 19, 11 through 21. For those of you who take notes, literally go read Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And talks about how Jesus comes and who he is and his power and his authority. And he goes in the next few verses in chapter 40, 12 through 15, literally pouring out verse after verse after verse after poetic verse of beautiful verse about who he is. He says, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who was measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else has done this? Do you know who has done this? I don't, except him. Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Like he asked, who can give me advice? I'm the all-knowing God. Like if you need advice, who are you going to go to? Go to God. He goes, have you not seen me? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He says he picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Then he asks them this question because they're, they're, at this point, they're, they're whining, complaining, and worried and caught up. And they're like, dude, like, what are we going to do? You just told us we're going to be taken captive by all these people. He goes this, comfort my people, comfort, I'll take care of you. And he reminds them who he is in all those verses. Then he asks them this question, have you not heard? Verses 21 through 22. Do you not understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. And if you are a Bible nerd like me, that's a verse that people will justify as you go through scripture to know that the Bible knew that the earth was circle way before all these guys were trying to figure it out. Like they, they already got this, right? So if you're wondering if science proves God, science definitely proves God, right? So here we are, right? Trying to figure out all this stuff. Like is the earth like flat or what's like, No, it's already in here, right? So the people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent for them. See, this is what I'm, I'm trying to make, and this is the point. That if you don't have a high view of God, we cannot worship him truly. Because you can't worship him at the level of who he actually is. You can't. You really can't. Like for some of you guys, you're in a position right now where you're in a relationship and you're trying to be a husband or a wife, and you can't really be a husband or a wife because you don't have that stature. Like you don't have that authority. Like you're trying to be something that you're not. 
Like you're trying to be a father to people and you're not, like this is the thing, like be comfortable where God has put you in that moment in time. Like I, I can't honor you as, as, as a dad because you're not a dad yet, but it honors you as a, as a disciple of Christ. And at that level, God meets you at that point. Stop striving to be who you're not meant to be in that moment. Allow God to trust you and to move you and to shape you. If you don't have a high view of God, we cannot, have, we cannot worship him truly. And we must worship God at the level that he deserves to be worshipped at. As a God who has all power and all authority and still loves us. See, the Holy One has done one thing. And to be made holy is this, to set aside himself, to be different, to be made high and above. What has he done? The Holy One has set aside himself, not just for himself, but for you. This God has said, in all my power, in all my authority, I'm going to carry you in my arms. I'm going to put you on the bosom of my heart. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to care for you. And the reality is this. And you might hear that and be like, oh, that sounds like a, a prosperity gospel thing that he's about us. That God is truly about you. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're the bee's knees or whatever you want to call it. Like, you're not like the best thing. Like, fresh bread? Cut bread? I don't know. There's so many things you could call it, right? Like, you're not it. You're not it. Trust me, you are not it. I know I'm not it. Like, I'm, if we're, let's be real. Okay, let's be real, guys. Right? We are not it. We are actually not worthy of his love. We are not worthy of his love. After reading about all these things about this God, who literally, the earth literally flatten, it's flattens itself in honor of who he is. Like, really? Like, you think you're bigger than that God? No, we're not. We're not worthy of this love. But yet he said, that I'm going to care for you. I'm going to still choose you. So what do we do then? How do we have hope? How do we have comfort? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy waiting before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. How do we have faith? How do we maintain hope? How do we have uh, an ability to wait upon this God? We trust him. We fix our eyes on him. We don't decide to, in the middle of our word, and scripture talks about this all the time. People be like, don't have anxiety. Don't have, no, no, like, this is a real thing. We all worry. We all get concerned. And what does scripture say? It says that when we are afraid, not if, but when we are afraid, we can trust in God. Not if, but when. But when. It doesn't discount our, our in inadequacies, our fears, our pains. God is strong enough to carry that. If he can carry the world like a grain of sand, that's what it said. We read it, we read it together. How much more can he carry you? Like, Jesus is like the sagiest of sages. Like, let me just throw you something real quick. He goes, you're worrying about food? You're worrying about food and where you're going to stay? And he just throws out these words to his disciples. He goes, dude, like, you see that sparrow? You see that bird over there? Like, I care for that bird. I feed that bird. I make sure it's fine. And he goes, that, that bird does not plant, does not reap, does not do anything. Are you more valuable than a bird? Now, think about it. How many sparrows you guys seen? Uh, well, here's a better question. For those who are deeply conspiracy theorists, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? Like, right? If you're, just think about that. Like, where, where, what? Like, what? Where, where do these things exist? But I see pigeons around. Like, what's going on? Like, like, this is the reality. 
Like, you're far more worth than these birds. Like, you're far more worth than these animals who do nothing to survive. Where do they go in the winter? How do they take care of themselves? God sustains them. Are you more valuable than these birds? See, fixing our eyes on Jesus, trusting God, waiting upon God gives us faith for the future. He says this in Isaiah 26 through 27. He says, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after the other, calling them each by name. Not a single one is missing. Now, have you guys ever looked at the stars? Jeez. Or seen like the Hubble, like just go Google, YouTube, all that stuff. It's insane. Expanding, continuing growing galaxies. And yet every single one of them has a name. Now, Valentine's Day passed. I'm so sorry. You could have bought your loved one a name and named them a star or something like that. And you've maybe even forgotten it. But the reality is this, our God knows every single star by name, does not forget every single one of them. He knows them. An endless, continuing, growing galaxy. How much more would he care for you? How much more would he care for you? See, God has invited us to participate under his sovereignty. He's invited us to be a part of this family. And that's a great thing to know that this God says, come to me, be with me. And what comforts us, and these are the three things that are going to comfort us, and we're going to end this evening this way. Isaiah 40, 28. 28 through 31 is a string of verses that's really common. And if you're a Christian and you've been there for a while, you might have heard these verses before. If you've not, praise God. Listen to this. Like, this is amazing. Hear these words in verses 28 through 31. He says this. Have you ever heard? Have you ever underst- never understood? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He's an everlasting God. He steps out of time. In Psalms it says he rules from everlasting to everlasting. Where does everlasting begin? I don't even know. But from everlasting to everlasting, he rules and reigns. And he goes, I take care of all time. Which means some of you guys might be worried about what's happening in the next few steps of life. But rea- the reality is this, that he, like he, he's always an on-time God. There's an old song that says he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want it, but he'll be there right on time. He's always right on time. I think of Lazarus who was in the grave. His friend, Lazarus. What the Bible says, Lazarus was Jesus' friend, his dear friend, his close friend, whom he loved. Go read it. That's what it says. Lazarus was dead for four days. Four days. Four days. And yet God comes. Jesus comes. Full of power, full of grace. He weeps with the people. He cries with the people. Meaning God understands our cares. He understands our worries. And then he raises Lazarus up from the dead. Like he was nothing. Crazy. Like that's insane. But this is our God. From everlasting to everlasting. If a God can do that, why are we need to worry about the future? I am comforted that he's an on-time God. Now there's this verse, Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Power to the and strength to the powerless. All right. Here's this point that we've maybe seen on people's like Instagrams or poets or whatever, like wherever you guys be seeing your false Bible stuff. This is, the, this, is the, this is the stuff, right? It says this. God helps those who help themselves. You guys heard that before? You ever heard that before? God helps those who help themselves, right? 
man, I, I, there's so many things in Scripture. And I'm like, guys, like if you only held on to this word, if you read this Scripture, you would not be led aside by these random things. God who helps those who help themselves. Now, this verse said, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. So which means that can be a true thing to say God helps those who help themselves. In fact, it says this, that God actually helps those who acknowledge their weakness. He lifts up the humble. People will say, God, you know what? Like, I'm just struggling right now. Like, I'm not trying to front. I'm not trying to be something who I'm not. Like, God, I really need your guidance. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your care. God, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. God, I, I, I have desires and, and pains and needs. And, and Lord, I, I don't know how to deal with all this stuff. It says he actually acknowledges and helps those who acknowledge their own weaknesses. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul, the super apostle, the gangster apostle, like this guy is so gangster. Ask me how gangster. He is so gangster. He's so gangster that when he was like beaten by these people, like he falls off of whatever, gets killed and dies, like his friends come up and lay hands on him. He gets back up, like literally comes back up, goes back in the same city to preach the gospel to the same people. Like he goes back to the people who killed him to preach the gospel to them. Veins popping like me, preaching all kinds, right? Like this is what he's doing. He has no fear of death. What gives him power? What empowers his decisions in his life? What should give you confidence to share the gospel, to say, Lord, send me? The fact that the creator of the universe literally is on your side, and he is not only in you, but he is with you always. Always. You are literally never, ever alone. Never, ever alone. Paul says this. He goes, I ask God to take this from me, to take this heaviness from me. My grace is what God spoke to him. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness that the power of Christ can work through me. He goes, don't worry about it. Continue to trust me. Trust me. This is not about you getting out of stuff. Like in the middle of where you are, God will take care of you. He will sustain you. Some of you guys are in really rough situations. Really rough situations. Be a relationship with, with, with someone or be a relationship with parents or, or a sickness or a actual like real anxiety that's, that's just eating at you and weighing on your life. He goes, don't worry about it. I will sustain you through it all. He goes, my grace is enough for you. What was the point of all these things for Paul? So that the power of Christ can work through him. And the power of Christ will work through you. It will work through you. If you're a person who takes notes, I'm going to run these verses for you to write down. Psalm 27, 14, and then Lamentations 3, 25 through 27. Again, Psalm 27, 14, and Lamentations 3, 25 through 27. Those will encourage you in another time, but this is the, the worst I want us to focus on right now, Isaiah 40, 30, where we're ending this evening. And as the team comes up, it says this, even youth will become weak and the young men will fall in exhaustion. Even the youth will become weak and, the tire, and tired, and the young men will fall in exhaustion. What does this mean? Many of us in this room would call ourselves young, right? If you're a young person, put up your hand real quick. Let's see. Praise God, right? The Bible says the glory of the young man is their strength, and the glory of the old man is their white hair. Meaning, like in this time here and now, you have an ability and a strength and a zeal that other people don't have. But even you get tired, even you get weary. Even you sometimes want to give up. And for some of us, our hope is in these people and our friends, and we hope that these people will, will, 
literally be there for us throughout the whole time. But whoever, the, the reality is this. People will always fail. The Bible said already that people are like grass, here today, gone tomorrow. Like sometimes, if you're in an issue, in a, in a, in a bind, your friend will be with you only if it's convenient. Like they'll be with you as long as it doesn't cost them something. Oh, how, how long do we have to talk? How oh, an hour? I don't, got no, I don't have an hour. It's too much. It costs them something. Or, or maybe they, like, it's, it's going to be an issue of like, like, like they're, they're not just their time. Maybe it's a financial thing. Like they will leave you when it's not comfortable for them. But God has said that he himself, he's with you for the long run, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. How much does God love you? He literally died for you. He literally died for you. This God is with you. He's committed to you. Even though you're wild and out or you're unsure or carried with the weight of your sin, he goes, know what? I am with you for the long run, no matter the cost. And he already paid that cost. You don't have to wait for anything to, to, to cash in. You can say, God, here I am now. Thank you for this. I receive it. I take it in. It says, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And the progression there is saying it's you will soar, they will, then you will run, then you will walk. Which means, it sounds kind of backward, right? You think that if you're trying to fly, first of all, you're going to what? Walk? Then you run, then you soar. No, he goes, no, it's opposite. He wants us as if the whole point of this scripture is us, for us to wait. And to wait on God is to trust him. To wait on God is to hope in him. To wait on God is not just a Christian word. No, it's to say, God, I don't know, but you do, and I trust you. Like we literally just saying, God, I don't know how you're going to make a way, but I know you're going to do it, and so I'm going to trust you. To fall full force on his, like his strength. The Greek word for trust or for faith is pistis. And what it means is to put full weight on. Many of you guys sat down in these chairs with full confidence, not knowing whether or not that chair will hold your weight. I don't know how heavy you are. But you're not heavier than me, I'm sure, right? I'm thinking I'm the heaviest person in this room right now, right? Like, the reality is you just had faith that that chair would hold you. Like, you drove in your car, driving at 65 or 75, I don't know how fast you drove, miles per hour to come to Calvary to hear the word of God. But you're, it never one moment in that time did you think, oh, I'm not going to get there. You were probably mindlessly driving and texting at the same time. Like, you had so much faith in your ability to get there that you were like, oh, I'm just going to get there. He goes, I want you to have that kind of full faith in me. Those who trust, those who wait on the Lord, those who hope on the Lord, those who trust him, they will not only soar, run, but they will walk. See, the goal is this. The goal is actually patient endurance. Now, we just talked about Lazarus and him being raised from the dead. My dad, one time, because I grew up on mission in Uganda, what happened was this. One of our pastors was preaching the gospel at the funeral the funeral of a, a, a man who was a Muslim, his wife had become a Christian, and this man died. He was dead, 100% dead, like dead, dead, okay? He's dead, he's not coming back, right? And, and this guy is preaching the gospel. He's not talking about people coming back to life. He's just preaching the gospel to these Muslim people and some people who are Christian, not Christian, whatever. He's just simply presenting that this God, this Jesus, this God who literally has the whole world in his hands, like that song, he's got the... There you go. And is right, literally, like this is what's happening. He's just preaching the gospel. And this man who was dead, unbelieving Muslim, comes back to life. Okay, so you don't have to convince me that God has power. We've seen God's power. But I believe that God's power is actually more than just that moment of an, a blind man seeing or someone who is dead coming back to life. I think 
One of these greatest miracles we see in our day-to-day life is you making a decision every single day to trust Him. Because you have opportunities not to. You can choose not to, but every single day you trust Him, He shows Himself faithful. He shows Himself faithful. And so as you put prayers on that prayer wall, trust God. Make bold prayers. Make exorbitant, crazy prayers saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. I trust you. If you can hold the whole world in your hand, you can hold my heart. You can protect my emotions. You can protect my mind. You hold my future. Like that gives me confidence in knowing that this God is always for me and he's not against me. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word and thank you that we are able to see you as a God who controls all things, who has all power and all authority and yet you decide and desire to love us tenderly and kindly and gently and you hold us close to your heart. Lord, thank you for being that kind of a faithful father, a faithful friend, for your enduring and endearing love for us even though we don't deserve it. And so, Lord, with my brothers and sisters in this room, we just commit and say, God, we don't deserve it, but we trust that your grace is enough. The same way Paul did, you have loved us, and we're grateful. Help my brothers and sisters trust in your love and trust in your care and trust in your strong arm and your ability to save them, but also not just save, but sustain them till the end. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus, we pray. Everybody said. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this, don't forget to subscribe and also check out past episodes. For more content from Calvary HSM or to connect with us, visit us on Instagram at CalvaryHSM805. Go live and love like Jesus.